Do you really know what you need from God? Do you know how to ask for it? This is Benjamin Sapir, Peabody-nominated radio host and spiritual scholar, giving you the knowledge you need to empower your relationship with your Creator. You're listening to Prescription Talk Radio Live on 1160 AM WVNJ The Voice and streaming live on the Internet at www.wvnj.com. Give us a call, 1-800-962-1160. We're here to connect you to God. Good afternoon, everyone listening in the New Jersey, New York, tri-state area. This is Benjamin Sapir, April 17th, 2017. We are in the midst of the Passover and Easter season. If you are Jewish, you know where you are today. You are crossing the Red Sea. These are the last days of Passover, of Pesach. And the miracle of Passover continues as we see God's hand allowing the path for the Israelites to cross from amongst the Red Sea. Now, here's a question for our listeners as we are about to get into today's broadcast, which has been somewhat interrupted by a barrage of emails I've received that I didn't even know I was receiving of the last couple of months, it seems, that uh, my email provider hasn't been providing these to me on a timely basis. So we're going to discuss some of that. But if you have a question about today's miracle at the Red Sea or what your Easter was like, you can give me a call at 1-800-962-1160, 1-800-962-1160. And now that this seems to be working, you can use info at prayerscription.com, info at prayerscription.com. I hope all our listeners had a wonderful holiday, no matter what they were celebrating and how they were celebrating. I was doing a lot of spiritual triage in the prayer counseling space, both my Jewish and Christian friends were coming to me with lots of questions about the holidays, interfaith issues, um, f- issues with the church, issues with the rabbis, issues with their shuls. It, it was quite an interesting time, needless to say. It wasn't very restful, but it was uh, informative to hear how people are struggling in today's society with the relevance of organized religion, since many people seem that anything that judges them is something that they should discard. I don't know what that says for our ideologies, our politics, our society, but certainly ritual and custom needs to be redefined and reapplied to current circumstances if it's going to continue to be a path to divine revelation. Something that has come up or was a repeated theme in both Jewish and Christian dialogues that uh, I was involved with was this notion of academic discovery. What is archaeology doing to deconstruct the knowledge we've already had from the Bible? How is it destabilizing uh, traditional traditions, basically, traditions, doctrines, especially the church, with what's being discovered in Israel right now? And also this notion of this tension. Why must there be tension between Jews and Christians around this time? And how do we overcome that, especially in today's society? All very relevant questions, all very important questions that need answers. And that's why Benjamin Sapir at Prayer Counseling, prayercounseling.com, is here to help people with those questions and try to get them closer to God so that if they feel they are drifting away, they do not have a divine anchor, there is something for them to grasp on to. There's so many opportunities in the world today to be distracted. 
that we don't even realize that God is good, he ex- God exists, and God is there to help us exist in an abundant and better, better way. So before we begin today's show, and hopefully we may not even begin today's show, you may call with questions or I may get questions, more questions on the email, we'll talk about some things that seem to be coming in besides my clients and their kvetching to me over the holidays. But everybody had a wonderful time once the booze began to flow, indeed. I don't know what their cocktails were, but that did a lot of good. And I'm sure everybody had a lot of good Passover wine. As you know, if you had a what well, a Seder, four cups of wine makes for a very interesting evening, especially by the time Eliyahu shows, shows up. But let's get to some emails that I've received that seem to will help us in this holiday season unpack some of the stuff that I do with people. So we have an email from Edward, and he's from Illinois, and he's telling me basically, Dear Ben, I find it difficult to pray. That's the email. He finds it difficult to pray. And I find it difficult to give you an answer because I don't know why you find it difficult to pray. But, um, you know, when people come to me with that, that's always an issue that they say, well, I meditate. I don't pray. I don't know why they don't pray, and I don't know why they don't see a boundary on why meditation is not as beneficial as prayer, but, you know, I'm not here to judge. If that's working for them, great. If it's not wor- working for them, they should try to think about why we need to pray, why, how prayer is a beneficial thing to dialogue with God and to help us see things in life that we may be missing out on. So, Edward from Illinois, if you want more information about why you find it difficult to pray and ways to overcome difficulties in prayer, you could visit prayerscription.com or you could send me an email with a little more detail at info at prayerscription.com. But I do pray that you find your difficulties to go away. And I will take a moment to discuss. I have a new book coming out called Prayerscriptions for Abundance. It will be available shortly, I hope, if my publisher doesn't mess things up will be available on Amazon and distributors around the world. So prescriptions coming out of Israel. It will have a lot of ancient secret biblical magic in its prayers in terms of how they're formulated and how they should be used. And hopefully it will help its readers and all humanity benefit from a more pronounced presence of the divine in the world. We have another email from Janice who is from Modesto, California. Interesting place to be. She writes, My dear Ben, my family caused me drama and trauma over my life, and I have greatly distanced myself. We have recently lost a grandparent, and now, for the holiday season, they want a family gathering. I don't know what to do. Do you have any suggestions on how to pray for guidance? That's a good question. I'm sure one of the themes uh, we may have been contemplating in our own spiritual life over the last week during the Passover Easter season is what happens when we have family disconnects, things that we are angry at God for in our family, things that cause us distress, and how do we put them aside to enjoy the goodness or the abundance of the season? Very difficult to do, I understand, uh, you know, no one should be in a situation where they're sitting on a table where knives are not really used just for food, but for egos and uh, familial competition. That said, 
In cases like this, it's, it becomes difficult to pray for guidance without first controlling the root of the emotional distress. You have to make a conscious choice. Uh, this is a, a theme present in both Old Testament, Tanakh, or New Testament Gospels. Whether or not you are going to rise above your human emotion for that person. And this is a great example of how to juxtapose uh, Judaism and Christianity. We know in Judaism that we take a much more active role if our enemies do us wrong. You know, an eye for an eye kind of thing. I believe Donald Trump even quoted one of those passages during the campaign trail where he said that was his favorite, an eye for an eye kind of thing, which may be resounding at these times in a little different way than it did at the time of our election process. But um, is that something you ascribe to? What does that mean in, in Judaism? And in Christianity, it's to turn the cheek. Yeah, you know, Jesus says, if you're slapped in the cheek, turn your, turn, give your enemy your other cheek. Well, basically, let's unpack that a little bit, because, of course, if Donald Trump said it, he didn't spend any time studying it, unfortunately, and he certainly didn't spend time studying the Bible, as you know. But what it means in Judaism, and it, it is very similar to what Jesus says, believe it or not. After all, Jesus was Jewish, and it doesn't mean just to turn the cheek. In Judaism, this is saying, the sages say that wisdom will leave the wisest of man, that no one should take action in anger. And when you read books, I, I won't give you the Jewish name, but I'll, I'll give you the English name because it should, all Jews know this, but Christians may not. There's a book called Duties of the Heart, one of the books of the Ramkal, a Italian Kabbalist, um, Luzato was his last name, and Duties of the Heart is, says beautifully this notion of when you are angry, you can never demand justice and you can never deliver justice because you don't know what you're going to want. There's no way to repair the anger that's within you. So the sayings and what you study in the Talmud and in the Mishnah and in the Torah on a deeper level is that you must trust in God, which is what's happening now during Passover. As we're crossing the Red Sea, yes, we may have enemies with the Egyptians, and Paro may have made our lives very miserable, but at the end of the day, God himself, God, God delivered us in a way that was certainly beyond our expectations. And in Jesus' teaching, you see that too in sort of turning your cheek. You're going to have to give it over to God, and God's going to fight this fight for you. This is a, a theme that's present in Deuteronomy. Um, I know it is Torah Mishpatim, the, the Torah portion, where God is fighting on behalf of the Israelites, which is exactly what he's been doing all along in the desert and what this whole Passover is about. So the question, for the response to your question, Janice, is you need to pray for the strength to overcome the emotion and to trust that God will make it right. That may not be pleasant. You know, we, we see that, that sometimes God's workings are not really aligned to what we want, but it may provide you with peace, or it may give you, you may be having an opportunity here to find some peace if you go to a table with your family, even though they have made great trauma in your life. You could somehow rise above it or deal with it in a way 
that will help you grow as a person instead of carrying it in your mind. I mean, there are so many speakers on the circuit discussing this, that you're giving away precious intellectual real estate when you're thinking about your enemies constantly. And if you're moving away from them, are they really moving with you wherever you go? So Janice, that's the question. If you do not go to this family gathering or if you had not gone or interacted with your family, are they going to follow you? Are they going to be in your mind no matter where you spend the holidays or whatever other family circumstances may come up with the remainder of our lives, your lives together. So think about that. So what I would really suggest you pray for is guidance. For guidance is to control your emotions and to put your emotions before God in the most raw and authentic and organic self. Really express your anger, your disappointment, whatever you're feeling, and understand that justice is something that you cannot hope to deliver by your efforts alone, that it's going to require a divine intervention for you to feel right about this, if at all to feel right about this. And if you could put that aside and maybe find some enjoyment, you should go. Local email from a person named Mike from Hawthorne. And basically he's telling me, I don't want to go into too much detail, that he was very religious at a time. And he fell away from God and the church because he became addicted to cocaine. And now he's struggling with the recovery and he's jeopardizing all he's worked so hard for. Do I have any ideas for him? Well, addiction, which will be a theme in some of my previous writings, and there will be a book coming out about that too sometime in the next six months, I believe. There'll be a prescription for addictions. It's a whole different struggle. It's a whole different issue. Um, Dr. Avraham Tversky, a very good... uh, both rabbi and medical doctor psychiatrist writes extensively on mental health and addiction and spirituality and I know that being a chaplain in Princeton was a great honor to be working with people overcoming addiction uh, so it's something I hold personally to myself it's, it's part of my ministry more or less prescriptions was really born out of that chaplaincy to help people pray and bring them to a state of the divine where they don't need drugs they don't need an external force to feel something that makes them extraordinary. So something that I would say to you is, first of all, if you have any friends that are bringing you around destructive behaviors or triggering desires for drugs or alcohol, anything that would make you relapse, get away from them. They have to be eradicated from your life. And you should put yourself into a good 12-step program or a program where you could be accountable to someone besides yourself. Hopefully your family's there with you, but more importantly, you have to know that God is working with you to overcome this and don't keep engaging in the destructive behavior because recovery is a lifelong process and you know slips and falls are always possible everybody's slipping and falling but you need to really take an active role and make your faith the center of staying away from things that cause you uh, to want to relapse and to destroy yourself basically and destroy or you worked for okay two more is a lot but we'll just do two more uh chris high school senior from Reno, Nevada. And he writes that he's having identity issues, in quotes. That's a vast term these days, identity issues. I don't know who I am. It's a very distressing statement. I've been studying and achieving over the last four years to get into an Ivy League. I've achieved that, but now I do not have time, and I certainly made myself not have time to reflect on me. God seems irrelevant in this process. I don't like going to church, and I find my parents to be unhelpful. 
where would you suggest to go for answers? Question mark. Mm. Promising new mind, going to an Ivy League, means more secularism will be thrown at him, and the ability of him to reach out to get some sort of divine connection will be greatly muddled. So, Chris, if you're listening, or if I get to respond to you perhaps later today by email, if the email is working at info at prayerscription.com, if you have a question, you could send it to info at prescription.com. What I would tell you is when your family is not with you and you don't feel connected to a church, you have a blessing. There's a blessing there. There's a great blessing there because you get to create your relationship with God as you see fit. And it may be difficult for you to actually open a Torah or a Bible and see if it speaks to you. And if you read a few sentences, you may say, this is so archaic and irrelevant. I don't see how this is a living text. I don't see the Spirit of God moving through this text or somehow enabling me to grow into a sense of self that I know. So what I would encourage you to do is to surround yourself with positive people, with positive attitudes who are spiritually active. I don't care what tradition they're in. I'm not going to promote any particular faith denomination, but something that you feel somewhat attracted to or compelled to, and try to use that as a stepping stone to come into a dialogue with God from a positive area in your life to try to overcome some of these deficiencies you're having. And of course, I wish you great success in your college career. And this should not be something that you have to carry through college. You should be enjoying those years and you should be enjoying your youth without suffering uh, through any sort of identity issue which will only continue to evolve and grow over time if you do not nip it in the bud now. And God certainly is very helpful in that process, but it also could be a distraction right now if you're not having counseling or other things in your life to help you have a, a true sense of self running to God for an answer right now, yes, you should pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but don't add that into your bag of distractions. If he, you know God was present in your life through the crisis, different story, but to insert or now look for uh, some sort of divine intervention now, don't make that a divine distraction. So I, best of luck to you. These things are difficult to do in a few sentences and a few moments, but... Um, I do hope you get the help you need, and I know that God will bring you to a good place, and there are blessings where you're at. And the final email I'm going to share with the audience this afternoon is from Anna from New York City. Um, She writes, I grew up culturally Jewish, but not participate in the religion except when my father died. We had a conservative rabbi do the service, and I felt something was nice about it. However, I don't feel connected to it at all. I consider myself, quote-unquote, Wiccan, or quote-unquote, pagan, or quote-unquote, elementalist. That's a lot of quotes. And prefer the ways and the stories of the Celtic goddesses and the wizard Merlin. Hmm. I heard something you said at a workshop you gave in New York when you were leading a meditation service that haunted me. She writes what I said. I don't remember saying this, but perhaps I did say it. God has given us the power to create our gods and to destroy the oneness of our divine connection. Yeah, that's something I would say. Could you please point me in a direction of a book, a writing, or a practice that will help me see 
that oneness. Ah, Baruch Hashem, you have an interest in seeing the oneness. Well, that's the first step, the interest. I could recommend the Torah. It's a great place to start. So is the Bible another great place to start. There are many books, but hopefully you use the Passover season to connect with your Jewish tradition or your genetic Jewishness. And your Yiddishkeit got excited to celebrate Passover and the miracles of Passover. And, uh, you know, you're seeing new things and you're being excited by all this. You seem to want to do everything else but go back to the religion in which you were born, Wiccan, pagan, elementalist. I don't even know what an elementalist is. Is that a new term that I haven't heard of? I'm usually pretty active in this space or aware of what's going on uh, through my clients, but elementalist is a new one. Um, So point is there is only the book that works for you and that's the bible that works for everyone if you want that one divine connection without an interpreter or an intermediary but if you need some help uh, i would suggest spend some time in uh, saint bartholomew's in new on madison park avenue saint bart's great bookstore they have a great volunteer organization there that will help you get a book good place to start there are other places but uh, you want to go to a library or to a bookstore where they're not going to push any ideology on you since you've seemed you, know, you like stories and myths goddesses and merlin and stuff you're looking for some sort of divine power it seems but if you read the bible you'll see that you were created with that divine power in every action you did even drafting this email to me was an action of divine power And you heard that when I spoke those words, I had no idea nor intention that they would affect somebody the way they affected you. So Baruch Hashem, may you continue to uh, have a curiosity and may God fulfill it in the most abundant and productive way so that your oneness with the divine connection can be experienced and felt. Since we're on other people today, before we get to the show, you can give us a call if you want, 1-800-962-1160. And we could try to work through some of your problems here. Uh, I'd just like to start the show because I know it's holiday season and, you know, how many of us are really feeling rejuvenated from the holiday? Are you hopeful that a miracle in some form happened? Are you going to use the power of the holiday to change your life and to change life around you? How do we make that change? Stay tuned. Benjamin Sapir here. And so it goes, and so it goes, and so will you soon, I suppose. But if my silence made you leave, then that would be my worst mistake. So I will share. Do you want to take such a passive approach and so it goes? Are you willing to just accept your destiny or are you going to argue with God to change your destiny? We know that it's a common hallmark in the Bible that humanity argues with God all the time to change the destiny not only for itself but for all humanity. We see that over and over again with Abraham and God, Moses and God, even Jesus in some way and God that they are arguing on the time, debating what's going to happen and happen to whom and when. What are you doing to make a miracle revealed in life? 
Miracles are things that are very interesting that some of us may feel may be beyond our control or some of us may actually receive in a prayer. I know from various clients and friends and family members over the years that miracles have been granted through intense and devout prayers. I've also experienced a few miracles in my own life. The issue with miracles are, or the issues with miracles are, what is the boundary on what we ask for if we're able to get a miracle? What does that mean for us as an individual creation? And what does it mean for the entire creation? Are we shifting God's will in some way to make it, to reflect our wants and needs? Or is it already there in creation we just have to reveal it? Something to think about with this tension in, in your relationship with God. Because a lot of people have angst. They're, they're angst-ridden with the politics amongst us. They're angst-ridden with their jobs, their financial situations, their families. There are so much angst. And what is what are they doing with that tension? Are they using it to grow in personal ways, in spiritual ways? Or are they just squandering it and looking to squash it with like material things, going on vacations, buying fancy clothes, cars, houses? I, you know, What are they doing with that tension? And what are you going to do with that tension? Because that's the tension from which miracles come. We see that in Passover, and we certainly see that with Easter. A lot of tension to the miracles that happened in both those holidays. And that is the issue of creation. How does God create? Once again, going back to Genesis 1. And I do hope you read some Genesis 1 since the last time we were on air together. Without creation, there'd be no day one, day two, day three, because there had to be a separation between the days, just as there has to be a separation between evening and morning. And when that separation is the tension that continues to propel creation forward. So what are you doing to harness that tension to reveal God's will for your life? And if God were to send a miracle, and let's take it up a notch because this is the season of Moshiach, Messiah, what does that mean? Are you willing to accept a Messiah that is outside of what you prayed for and what you conceived it to be, just like the miracle. God may be sending you miracles on a perpetual basis, but because they do not, they do not fit what you actually prayed for, explicitly what you prayed for, you reject them and you do not see them as miracles. Ask yourself that question. If God were to send you a Moshiach Messiah right now, and for my Christian audience, if God sent you, if Jesus was right in front of you right now, what would you do? Would you believe it? Would you reject it? What would you do? What would be the first thing you would do? Would you ask a question? Why we were created? What motivated or inspired God to create creation? Why do we have these holidays? Why do we have these divisions? What were you going to ask? I could assure you by a any poll, 99% would ask why Donald Trump was elected, but that aside, ask yourself, what would you really do if a miracle or a Moshiach Messiah came to you right now? And to help us unpack this notion in a historical context, because before these emails came in, the show was supposed to be a very academic show today and exploring some issues, we have a wonderful professor of uh, poli political and religious thought history from Princeton University, Professor Kay with us, discussing notions of Jewish messiahship 
messian- messianism and how Jesus came along at a particular time in Jewish history and became one of the most, if not well, the most successful Jewish messiahs in the history of, of, Jew- of Judaism. Uh, what does that mean for our individual faith and how can we help use that kind of academic knowledge and apply it to a more constructive prayer life? So. Think about what a Messiah looks like to you, a savior. What are you being saved from? That's what I keep constantly asking my clients. What are you being saved from if you can't save yourself? God gave you the power to save yourself. So here we go. Professor K and the history of the Jewish Messiah. Take a moment and reflect. What is that Messiah to you? starting with Jesus how does this figure as a good starting point in terms of looking at these issues I mean in terms of beyond how Christians manipulated the Tanakh to fulfill these you know use the prophecies of the Tanakh to, to point to Jesus what's the academic approach to that how do you teach that in class well like I say Jesus Jesus was a Jewish Messiah um, he was uh, in, in the sense that he he, he claimed to be um, most likely he thought of himself as a Jewish Messiah and, and others also thought of himself as a Jewish Messiah and when I say a Jewish Messiah what I mean by that is of course he was Jewish um, but also the way that he um, from you know from what we can reconstruct given given the sources that we have the way that he thought about himself and other people thought about himself at the time he was thinking about himself in terms of the tradition that I just mentioned um, but the, the the first century in which Jesus of course operated was uh, was a critically important time for Jewish history for a number of reasons um, first of all uh, what you have here is um, you know the first century shortly beforehand of course was the death of, of, of Herod the Great so um, who had been a, um, a very, um, um, let's, let's say he ruled with a very firm hand. And, and upon his death, there was a whole breakout of a series of different um, periods of, of, of revolt in different parts of, um, of, uh, of, of Judea at the time. So, um, so there, there was a, a lot of kind of um, rebellious fervor, but also these, these kind of messianic fervor um, that was all coming to a head. Um, into all of this was folded a, an apocalyptic tradition in, in Judaism, the apocalyptic literature which had started um, centuries earlier, in fact, but, um, but the, the uh, sectarian nature of, of, of Jewish society at the time um, was kind of exacerbating all of these interesting uh, dynamics and relationships between different, different Jewish groups. So it was, a kind of a, it was a kind of exciting time. And if you read um, the historian Josephus, who was a who was a Jew who ended up being a, a historian for the Romans, essentially, um, he talks about a number of different characters at this period of time who, in one way or another, um, tried to restore Jewish sovereignty by defeating the Romans militarily, um, but he also talks about various kinds of prophets and so on. And John the Baptist is, a, is an example of somebody who 
um, who, who, who in the, exactly this period was encouraging people to repent. Um, of course, the baptism was uh, was a symbol of, of repentance. You know, dipping in the in the mikvah and and, and um, kind of um, shedding your sins. Um, and th there was a lot of sense that this was a time when when something eschatological was going to happen. And Jesus um, was one component of that kind of big complex of ideas and movements and personalities at the time. Of course, of all the messiahs in that period, um, the movement that followed his death was, of course, the most, the most successful messianic movement of all time. That's a very profound uh, statement. The biggest messianic movement that followed his death was the biggest messianic movement of all time. The fact that Jesus was not here, or physically here, whatever that means, during the rise of Christianity is quite interesting. Yes, some will say he was here, he showed himself to Paul, he showed himself to his disciples, and he continues to reveal himself. But what's interesting is that the movement, the faith in Christ, didn't really happen until after he passed. And as Professor Kay noted, it was a time when the world was in tremendous chaos in terms of the Jewish state and their fear of losing the divine presence on earth. Because if you're familiar with any Jewish theology or Jewish temple history, you understand that the temple was the place in which God dwelt, which is why it had such a pivotal role in the Gospels and why Jesus was constantly dealing with temple politics and being at the temple and what it really meant and the Romans were going to destroy it and what does that mean for Judaism if God isn't dwelling amongst his people God's people, God's creation and it had all kinds of notions that this was the end of times how does that help us and how does that help you pray better and this is what is very significant when I sit with clients and we go through their spiritual evolution what happens is they attach themselves to an image that becomes overpowering to them it could be a book in Judaism we take great pride in knowledge and teaching and, and history and, and, and book ideas and the sages and the, and the lineage of the sages from which those ideas came forth and in Christianity it's also images it could be teachings but it's really image of Christ saints if you're a Catholic it, it's a concretized notion of the divine and in many ways when you put this question forward this is the real test of faith and this is a test of awareness of faith and the divine w working in life if you had a chance to be alive and be a contemporary of Jesus Christ would you actually want to be in Jerusalem, would you really want to be in Israel at that time in history with Jesus Christ? How would that impact your faith? Same thing to the Jews. Would you want to be with Moses right now on the Dead Sea, on the side of the Red Sea? Would you want to be with Moses as the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea? Because the moment you would put yourself there in real time, what would happen to the idea and the Spirit of God that those images, those people, those notions, those characters, those events have really maintained within your life to this point. You would have to revise everything about them, everything you knew about them, everything you felt about them, and they would have to change. And yet 99%, let's be a little more scientific here, I would say 
87.3% of my clients would all want to have that direct contact. And it's true. It's nice to have direct contact because it affirms and confirms the power of the spiritual experience, but at the same token, the risk of disturbing the power of the divine and how it's presented within you before encountering it in person in the flesh is a big void. And that's part of our prayer life where there is this distance and it's a needed distance that God allows us to be present in all creation, but yet revealed from us at the same time, this notion of tension. So think about that. Think about what Professor Kay was talking of that it was really after Jesus's death that the ministry of Christ took off and Christianity became what it is today. And to put that in perspective and to maybe get some of you to go out and actually read the Bible, I want you to think about a passage. It's a, it's a very famous passage and it resonates more to me being an active member of a Jewish community because it, it, it's sort of what happens in community that a lot of my clients were complaining about or friends complaining about during the Passover season that they felt the community standards impeded them from enjoying the miracle of Passover because there was so much emphasis on preparation and communal standards and who could outdo whom for observance and chametz cleaning and all that stuff. But the passage I'm, I'm looking for is uh, Mark 6, 4. It says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town. That's a profound statement when juxtaposed against what Professor Kay ended the interview segment with. If someone knows who you are and they see the frailty of your humanity, going to the bathroom, wanting to eat, wanting to breathe, wanting to sleep, being a part of the everyday process, they observe you closely, they know your weakness, you do not become mysterious to them. Even if you had tremendous divine power, you're not going to be really that special to them, and they're not going to really claim you to be the great leader. This is sort of why artists don't have legacies until after their passing. It's sort of like that notion that if you're around and you're too close to people, even in the, the entertainment business, one should never get too close to a star because then the, the brightness will burn off because you'll see the person, not the image. This notion, if you go to your own town, you will not receive honor. It's very, very important because I could say that I, I've experienced that. I'm invited to speak everywhere except at the shul where I belong. It's ironic that all these other communities welcome me, but at my home base, not so much. They know me for other things, such as my famous martinis and hospitality in the style of Abraham and all those things. But speaking in my hometown, no, but around the country, not an issue. People want me. So what does this have to do with your prayer life? has a lot to do. If you were re reading the letter of St. James, who was Jesus' brother, you'll see this notion even more reflected. That there is James, Jesus' biological brother. His biological brother, meaning half-brother uh, from Mary. And in the writings of the letter of James, you will see that never once is Jesus referred to as Messiah or even Son of Man. Very interesting. And it's basically... A, the early, early sect of Christianity in Jerusalem. 
And how do you think that James came to that sort of muted notion of Jesus? Because they were brothers. They grew up together. So it's important to know that when we pray, distance and imagination are the most important things that make religion and the divine present in our lives and allow the divine presence to fill that void. Because at the end of the day, what we hear when we think about it, I never really conceptualized that statement. It was not until Jesus' death that Christianity caught on. And we know that it really did not catch on until approximately 323 CE when Constantine declared it the official religion of the Roman Empire. But it had this ability to instill passion in people. And when you think of the early martyrs of the church, those who died at the Roman Colosseum, those who were really victimized by the Romans, what gave them the strength to go on? It was their testimony and their willingness to surrender their lives that made the church what it is today. And ironically, here we are almost 1,700 years later. The church is extremely uh, well off. The Roman Catholic Church, a great tradition, a great institution in Europe. But where are we as a people? How many Catholics, how many Christians, how many Jews even, how many people of God will actually give their life for their belief system to show the world that the power of their belief is, is that strong in martyrdom, in martyrdom. And we see this as an idea that, as I'm speaking, I'm having a Spicer moment. Actually, I'm having a Sean Spicer moment right now because there are crazy people out there who are doing it in the wrong way not people who are doing it in the right way, but we do have victims, unfortunately, of faith, both Jewish, Christian, and whatever. We see that with the Coptic Church in Egypt. This is a treacherous area to discuss in the media today, but it's something to think about with your own prayer life, bringing it back to that. If you see me on CNN later today with Jack Taper trying to walk this comment back, I certainly will do that. But how is your prayer life reflecting the passion you have from God and what sacrifices are you willing to make to get to know God in a productive constructive way not only for yourself personally but for all of God's creation it's very very important to think about considering the heavy conversations that have been going on for the past week and a half uh, especially yesterday there was a lot of dialogue about the relevance of the church and what's it doing in the world and how is it going to be a force in politics what's its position now that it's trying to promote social ideals and norms and all these things. And people are really, I'm seeing from my generation and younger, a lot of disconnect from the church. And it's kind of sad because now you're getting polarizing forces, either people who are extremely religious. This is also applying for Judaism. People who are extremely religious, and so why Orthodox Jews are on a rise. Orthodox denominations are rising. You're getting people who are, don't give, they just don't get it. They reject it. And that leaves you with groups that are ex take an institution in a very uh, extreme direction, uh, which is what some people said Pope Benedict did with the Catholic Church before Pope Francis. We shall see how this all works out. But think about these issues as we are spending today's time, and we had some questions from errant emails. How is God working in your life and what is the emotions you're feeling when you think about this? And are you the greatest impediment 
to the divine self. Do you, do you in some way prevent God from manifesting God's self in your own life? Because that's the question that we have to ask. Most of the time people come to me and they say, I can't get anything out of prayer, Ben. I don't understand it. I come to you. You're so holy. I don't know. You, you have all these you know, knowledge. You, 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 so different than anything I've ever encountered. Why don't I have this kind of divine presence or belief or comfort in this divine presence? And I say to them, well, it's because every soul gets what it needs. No two souls are created the same. But you must have an undearing, unwavering love of God that will not change or, or waver from that love, no matter what. And if you don't, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. So you're going to be the barrier. You're going to be the barrier. Um, and you won't be able to go on. You won't be able to feel the abundance, the love of God. You'll be the main issue. And I, I say this to everyone because they all say to me, well, this priest said this, this rabbi said this, and that's why I don't go. You don't look at the rabbi, you don't look at the priest, you don't look at anybody. You don't look at friends of yours who are making der derogatory statements. You look to God for your answers, and you must always look to God for your answers. Here is Rabbi Manus Friedman discussing some of the more esoteric nature of Judaism and the most important thing to avoid the addiction to the self. You know, I, I concur with that because I think the uh, intentions today are so selfish. It's the whole idea of the social media, of the self being elevated. And we see meditation classes and yoga class. Everything is about the self. What is it going to do for me with this divine experience? And it doesn't really address, as we talked earlier on, this notion of oneness, that if you're going to touch the divine... You must do it with a purpose, not just for yourself, but it's beyond the self. For sure. Hopefully we'll have a show on that in the future. I'm trying to bring on some people from Esalen, actually, to discuss this issue, because Esalen yeah. seems to be like the big thing these days between Madman and True Detective. Yeah. I, I have a suspicion that uh, almost any addiction, regardless of what the substance is, almost any addiction is really an expression of a basic addiction that we all have, and that is addicted to oneself. I'm just addicted to me. So if I get rid of one addiction, I'll just replace it with another one because it's me that I'm really addicted to. It's like a narcissism that doesn't necessarily involve a substance. It's just me. And if we can't get rid of that addiction, then we really can't grow beyond ourselves. And that kind of defeats the whole purpose. A human being, by definition, we can do a show on this too, a human being, by definition, is a creature, a human being is never content being human. An animal is content being an animal, a vegetable is content being a vegetable. A human being, by definition, does not want to be just human because we were created with freedom of choice. So what we were created as, that's a given. Now, now what does my choice contribute? So if I'm just going to remain a human being as I was created, then, then there's, no per, there's no point to my freedom of choice. So I'm not really a human being. I'm just a happy animal. 
So by definition, a human being is never content being human. We want to be something more. And that's why we need to know about God. We need to know what He needs, how to connect to Him, how to become more like Him. That's being human. While the sand would become the stone which begat the spark turned to living bone Holy, holy What are you being? What is the secret of your being? And you just heard from Rabbi Manus Friedman that a human is made in the image of God, that we have free choice, and that that free choice instills a restlessness in us that wants us to reach out to God and become more like God. That's a profound notion. And it's also a profound notion that we're never content in just being. Being is one of the greatest blessings in prayer because in the moment in which you engage God in that dialogue, you are being in a moment that transcends time and in many ways the limitations of our world because you're asking to really live up to the power of what created you and to bring that power into creation. So think about that. It's a very powerful, powerful thing what to do with that restlessness and why God made us human with this freedom of choice. Freedom of choice, very, very significant, especially at this time, and something to share with readers that gets me really riled up and why it's so important to be educated, to go out and read all you can. There's tremendous translations out there. But to really go to academic sources to learn what does it mean to be made in the image of God and how does that position us in the heavenly realms different than other beings. We know, especially during this time, that Moshe, Moses, is getting the Torah from God the angelic realms, the angels, did not like. They don't like us because they are not made in the image of God. They are just made to serve God and to worship Him. We have the choice whether or not we can worship and serve God. So when Moshe went into the heavenly realms to get the Torah to bring down to earth, they were very much trying to destroy him, and hence why he fasted for 40 days and what the Torah tells us what can be accomplished with that so that the angels didn't smell him entering the presence of God and that God gave him the Torah and was able to get it down. Something to think about why we're different than other beings in God's creation because we have that freedom of choice and how we're going to use it is going to make a big difference in not only our own personal lives but the lives around us. Since this is the holiday season. We are in the midst of Passover, the most important day of the crossing of the sea. We are in the midst of the Easter season. If you're a Christian, I understand that both the Orthodox and Roman churches Easter holiday collided or converged yesterday. 
I want you to think about what faith practices and what traditions you did. How are you praying and how do they sound to you? Because if you went to a place of worship, a worship center, whether it's a synagogue, a temple, a church, a prayer house, whatever you call it, a prayer center, did what you hear in scripture, did what you hear from the clergy, did what you hear from those in the community help bring you closer to God or did it sound like this? It'll do magic, believe it or not. Bibbidi bobbidi boo. Now salagadoola means a minchikabula moo. But the thing about the touch the job is bibbidi bobbidi boo. So, did it sound like bibbidi bobbidi boo to you? A bunch of words that had no positive impact in your life? Whether you davened or you accepted Eucharist, did any of that make any sense to you at all besides hearing a bunch of words? The point is, you're supposed to be transformed. And you heard in the interview with Rabbi Friedman my reference to Esalen. Professor Jeffrey Kripal is the CEO of Esalen. He's a, a scholar who is talking about transformative psychology. And I want you to hear his take on how he's using scholarship to empower the self from a divine Perspective. Professor Jeffrey Kripal, the J. Newton Razor Chair in Philosophy and Religious Thought at Rice University. I'd like to start this interview with a quote. Um, you say, we are all future butterflies who think wrongly that we are just slugs. And we are evolving, whether we admit it or not, into something else, something with wings. So the question that I'd like to bring forth is, how does your scholarship help people see beyond the ordinary and strive for something higher in their lives? Well, that's quite a lead question. Uh, well, so when I write, I write for multiple audiences. Um, my own conviction is that our culture, and by our culture I mean American culture uh, in general, runs on an operating system that is primarily materialistic. Uh, and by that I don't mean we all like to go to the mall and buy things. I mean we assume that matter is all there is and that a human being is some kind of ghost in a, in a biological robot or machine. Um, and when that machine breaks down, um, the, uh, the, the ghost uh, blips out of existence. So we, we live in a very depressing uh, um, small uh, worldview, and so a lot of my work is is trying to uh, resurrect or revisit people who have seen the human being in much grander terms, uh, and who have experienced human nature in much grander terms. That we're not just a we're not just a, a, a body. We're 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 also some, somehow cosmic and. Um, and, and in fact evolving with, with everything else in, in the physical universe. And that's what we do at Prescription. 
counseling. Prescription counseling is about helping people see the grand self, the extraordinary self in relation to God and how God is living and dwelling within them and how to bring that out into reality to manifest their dreams, to manifest the power of prayer, harness the power of prayer, to change reality, to make it better for themselves and everyone. Benjamin Sapir, prayerscription.com. This is Prayerscription Talk Radio. You need to be extraordinary. You need to pray to make yourself extraordinary. And you need to remember that God will always be extraordinary, and so are you because you are made in his image. Read the Genesis narrative, creation narrative, Have a wonderful remaining moments of the holiday season of Pesach and Easter. Hopefully we will see each other again next week or whenever we meet. Benjamin Sapir, prayerscription.com. And send those emails to info at prayerscription.com. Thank you. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are solely those of the host and not necessarily those of the station, its ownership, management, or staff.